Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and tonight we are joined by a good friend of mine. He is the GM of the Star Trek Adventures campaign that I am playing in. He is also the host of the Star Trek Tribunal podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Sean Andrews. Hey, hello, and uh, good evening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here, talking with my friend Ryan. Absolutely. We are glad to have you on the show. Uh, you are including, well, I, I don't know which of you is, is more up on your trek. I'm sure uh, Elfie will, will chime in here, but between you and Elfie, you guys are the two foremost trek aficionados in my life so to talk about <laughs> this game that that we have enjoyed playing for a few months now uh there's no one better to to talk trek on with you especially since elfie does not want to do the podcast <laughs> uh yeah uh a thank you uh and b it's just i've been a big star trek fan for we're getting close to 30-ish years, so 26, 27 years, something like that. And it's just one of those things. Uh, you mentioned my podcast, Star Trek Tribunal, which I really just started as an excuse to make my friends talk about Star Trek with me. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much all it is. It's one of those things. I don't care if anyone ever even listens. It's No, it's okay. I got my friends, and I made them talk about terrible episodes of Star Trek for an hour, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. and that's really all I care about for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Sean, we are going to start things off uh, the same way we start every single episode. I've got these questions that I ask everyone. So, Sean, how did you get into RPGs? Uh, RPGs is something that I've only recently gotten back into. Uh, but my first kind of foray was uh, in the mid to late 90s, probably 97, 98. Maybe a little later than that. Uh, I played a couple of text-only RPGs in AOL chat rooms. They, but they were they were Star Trek RPGs, mm -hmm. but they weren't uh, they weren't system-based. They were more of storytelling RPGs. So, you know, we would just get everyone together in a chat room and be like, we had a captain, our navigators, all that, and we would just chat out the the actions that we were doing. So some weeks we'd be fighting Klingons, some weeks we'd go on diplomatic missions, things like that. Um, but as that kind of became not as fulfilling... I actually started running a Babylon 5 RPG that I basically created the systems for. It was pretty pretty simple stuff, uh, especially considering I was in high school at the time, didn't have time to put a lot of time into it. Yeah. 
but it was uh, basically everyone just got to choose a race, and then uh, each week would go by with these are the things, these are the actions everyone's taken this week, and I would just take, I'd crunch the numbers and be like, this person sent a fleet to this planet, and this person sent a fleet to that planet. But um, after I graduated high school and went to college, did not have time to do any of that stuff anymore. I actually got, uh, before I ever played a pen and paper tabletop RPG, I got super into reading the Forgotten Realms D&D novels. Gotcha. Like all the R.A. Salvatore stuff. I've got everything that all of the Dritz novels, the Catterley novels. Um, I've got some Dragonlance stuff, a few things like that. And then, uh, funnily enough, so that that went on for probably about 10-ish years where I just didn't touch anything. I played a bunch of online stuff. Uh, EverQuest, WoW, all the, you know, all the the touchstones, the the regular stuff. Mm-hmm. But then, um, the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons episode of Community aired, mm-hmm. and uh, I was in a group of friends that we we all watched Community, mm-hmm. and we were all super into it. And that episode aired, and we were like, well, that seems kind of like fun. And then uh, maybe a month or two later, it was actually Valentine's Day. And it was the first Valentine's Day I'd been single in like four years. And I was just walking around at Barnes and Noble and there was a fourth edition starter kit, the, the red box for fourth edition. And I went, you know what? If I'm going to be single on Valentine's Day, I'm going to do it right. Mm-hmm. And I bought myself the the starter kit and just my little group of community friends. Like I, I DM'd us like through a whole campaign. And uh, most of those people, we all worked at a restaurant together and then sort of fell off when that restaurant closed, like we all just kind of went our separate ways. Cause that's just what happens with those kind of food service industry jobs. Mm-hmm. And then, um, probably about a year ago, uh, after I'd been doing Star Trek tribunal for about a year, I was like, I've decided I wanted to DM something. And fourth edition was pretty much completely on the way out for D and D. So that wasn't really going to be anything I was didn't think I'd get anyone interested in. And then I was like, well, I'm on a big Star Trek kick right now, so why don't I just buy the core book and just start DMing some Star Trek adventures? And that... So it's it's kind of a, an on and off thing. Oh, goodness. Um, but, yeah, that's and that leads us up to pretty much uh, when our first, our first session was uh, right before the pandemic broke out. Yep. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and then I went to a uh, a tribute to the late Neil Peart. Those were the last two like fun things I did before we all got locked in our homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did that, and I played one game of Magic EDH. The first game of Magic EDH I played in like three years, and that group has not gotten to meet in person since then either. It was like the day after we played Adventures for the first time, I think. Hmm. Gotcha. So, of all the games that you've played so far, you've alluded to a few that you really liked. Uh, what would you say your favorite game is? Um, are we just talking pen and paper RPG stuff? Yep. Or, yeah. Um, I, I don't think I've really played enough Star Trek Adventures to say it is yet, because it's, it's kind of, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but the, the gameplay and like the, the idealism behind it is kind of very different than other pen and papers I've played. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just go, you know, old school answer right now, D&D. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So thinking back to, 
either those early days of your role playing or even uh, if, if the answer's more recent, do you remember your first character or if not, who is your most memorable character? Um, I didn't have too many player characters when I've, cause I've usually been the master. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the very first, the, the storytelling, the story based Star Trek RPG that I played, um, I had an AOL chat name and my, I'm, my character's name was typo. <laughs> that was it. And every time that I got promoted, I would have to change. I changed my AOL, uh, aim, my aim name. So I went from Ensign Typo to Lieutenant Typo to Lieutenant Commander Typo all the way up to Admiral Typo. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. And I definitely feel you on the Forever GM thing. In fact, being in your game has been nice because it's a game that I'm in that I'm not GMing. Yeah, and that was one of the, uh, I'd say, probably the bigger downside of... Um, the D&D that I played was the fact that I was DMing like everything. Like I, I was doing everything. Mm. At some point I will return the favor to you and then I will GM in a game so that you get the chance to play. <laughs> I feel that it's only fair. Well, and we're much closer than we were pre pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think when, when we first met, we lived about, 45 minutes away and now i'm about 20 minutes from you maybe even a little bit less than that so it, it yeah, works out pretty well as much far closer. as gaming goes yeah as soon as people can go places again mm-hmm. absolutely now being kind of the forever gm uh, a lot of us <laughs> okay i i have to disrupt the flow here because elfie Made a funny. It's too bad you weren't in the Bajoran military, so you could be major typo. I, <laughs> I saw that too, and um, I was, I was, I, I spaced on it after I saw it. But yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing. It was just, um, I don't think just to to deflate the joke. I'm sorry, <laughs> but we 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 just weren't doing Bajoran stuff. It was like strictly Federation stuff. But I do recall there being like explicitly Klingon ships. With the people who were like typing Klingon to each other and stuff like that. <laughs> oh God. Chat <laughs> Yes, Bajor gets left out as usual. Of course. Yeah. Which and and I've recently done a Deep Space Nine rewatch and mm-hmm. Bajorans are great. They're they're probably the most fascinating culture in all of Star Trek. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. We Elfie and I are, we have two episodes left of DS9, and this is my first watch through of it. Um, and, and the Bajorans are definitely one of the more interesting race. I am very fond of the Klingons because I, I don't know, I, I just love that, that honor shit. But, you know, the Bajorans are definitely the linchpin of that series, uh, their interplay with Cardassia definitely holds that show together and creates a lot of interesting moments. And yeah, I mean, as much as I love the Klingons, uh, I, I do have to give it to you that the Bajorans are maybe even that much more interesting than them. Yeah, and I see Elfie has said in chat, uh, hashtag Cardassia forever. Yep. Uh, which, Cardassians are great too. Um, the Maybe the best character in Star Trek history is Cardassian, so... Yeah. You got that going for her. 
for you, which is nice. Absolutely. So as a forever GM, a lot of us have this tendency to have these NPCs that travel with us from game to game. Do you have any like that that you kind of bring with you everywhere you go? Any forever NPCs? Um, not really. Uh, just, I think, because I've been so spaced out when I've actually been DMing mm-hmm. that I, I've not really had too many archetypes uh, with that sort of thing. Um, I bet if I sat and thought about it, I would come up with correlations between NPCs I created, mm-hmm. but uh, nothing in particular stands out. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, the USS Blackburn will not be getting any orders from Admiral Typo anytime soon, I take it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That was definitely a, a, a 14, 15-year-old kid's idea of what would be a funny name. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like my, my uncle has a license plate that says Stolen Tag. Mm. <laughs> so I definitely feel you in that headspace there. I heard a story about someone whose license plate said something like not found or error or something like that. <laughs> and they ended up like practically getting arrested because mm-hmm. it wasn't like... When it was showing up in their system, like it was showing up as a null. Yeah. So, when it comes to the times where you get to step behind the screen and and you know actually play, or even when you're behind mm-hmm. the screen and and GMing, how would you describe your playstyle, both as a GM and a player? Um, as a player, I like uh, I go very I usually go very simple, mm-hmm. very straightforward. barbarian warrior um things like that just something that where all you have to do is just bash your head against it until it opens up Mm -hmm. um that's that's my favorite for for uh pen and paper that's my favorite and i i find that if i'm playing uh electronic wow those sorts of things i tend to go squishy caster that sort of thing but yeah i definitely like pen and paper i just i like to not think about it and just go i'm gonna smash your face in roll my die now well, the door's locked. Well, I'm gonna kick it. <laughs> gotcha. And then, as a GM, I've seen a little bit of your style. But how would you how would you describe what what your uh, your kind of GM go to style is? Um, I like trying to present a something that isn't just a straightforward combat. Uh, and and I mentioned this already, uh, but Star Trek Adventures like it definitely feels like it wants you to lean away from that. Mm-hmm. It's got it's got okay combat systems, but it's something that it it kind of wants to lean towards the more cerebral or outside the box uh, things like that, which is what I like putting together in my D and D campaign. Um, like just in being a first time pen and paper DM, like I was I was trying to do things pretty early on. I was like, oh well, this is a tower, and each floor is a different puzzle or encounter that you have to deal with. Rather than just oh well, on this floor there's two two orcs, on this floor there's three orcs, and on this floor, you're never gonna guess. <laughs> it's four orcs. Gotcha. So, a lot of times, you know, people like us who who come on shows like this and talk about these games that we play, we have a lot of good memories tied up in uh, you know gaming with our friends. So if you had to describe a fondest RPG memory, what would it be? And then I'll give you one other. Since this is a Trek show, what's your mm-hmm. fondest Trek memory? Um, for for uh, for DMing uh, for the the D and D sessions I was doing, 
Um, and, and actually, the tower I was just describing. Um, one of the puzzles, and and it was it was a group of completely new players. Th- mm-hmm. This was you know people who had never played before, but we were people that spent a ton of time together. It was worked in a restaurant for mm-hmm. together, all all back of the house people, except for I think one of us was was like a floater. But we um, so it's all new players, and the puzzle was literally just there's a checkerboard pattern on the floor. Don't step on the black checkers. Mm-hmm. And um, a friend of mine who, who was playing, he could not for the life of him figure that out. <laughs> and he just, he was just trying to bully, bull his way through that. Mm-hmm. Like he was just like, all right, well, I step forward. All right, you're fine. Okay, cool. I step forward again. You get hit by a dart. Why does this keep happening? <laughs> and it was, it was just one of those things where it was just, and I think this was probably our our first like real first or second real session. So mm-hmm. everyone was really finally starting to get in the feel and flow of it. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things where when they finally got through the room, I was like, Max, all you had to do was not step on the black tiles. <laughs> and he was just like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was that. Um, for Star Trek, mm, I, I've got a, a few different ones. Um, I, I became a Star Trek fan uh, in the summer of 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess it's right at 25 years. I guess I was over-exaggerating a little. Yeah. But I, I remember specifically because I rented Star Trek Generations. Gotcha. So that came out in November of 94, which means I would have rented it because I rented it in the summer. Hmm. And I I watched that tape so many times. Um, but uh, so that was Generations. So Next Gen was over when I started watching and I started watching Deep Space Nine. But I went to see First Contact in theaters and I went to go see Insurrection in theaters. Mm-hmm. And Insurrection, I went with a friend of mine and um, it was a a big like a big deal release like for some reason because it was 98 so like the uh i want to say it was kind of on the heels of the star wars special editions but before the prequels mm-hmm. so in 98 and 98 is not a, a big movie year i think is right. probably part of the issue there um kind of shitting on star trek insurrection right now but uh <laughs> but just just the energy in that that theater and hanging out with uh, my friend Matt, who was someone that I grew up with, like that I went to like elementary school with, mm-hmm. and um, like we were on the same little league teams together, and we went to school together, and all this stuff, and just so many little things about that night stick in my head. Mm-hmm. And they did trivia up front, and it's one of those you know you know the little things that get stuck in your head from ten fifteen years ago, and you're like, well, I can't remember this super important thing yeah but this is what sticks in my head Mm -hmm. and um they were giving out uh they were just giving out action figures and this and that and the question was how many times through the course of star trek the next generation does data (laughs) cross-dress and so um you being a relatively new star trek fan Mm -hmm. i'm going to give you a chance to answer this question 
And Elfie, you can put this in, in chat as well if you want. Hmm. I want to see see the answers, and then you get to hear my side of the story. So we've watched Next Generation. We finished it a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's relatively fresh in my mind. I'm going to say three. Okay. Giving Elfie a chance to answer if she heard. I don't yep. know if she she did. Okay. She can't yeah, look she, it up. She should. She should uh, be able to answer this. Let's see. Okay. So. Okay. Elfie's answer: The Hollis, a fistful of datas, mm-hmm. is an episode where there is a malfunction in the holodeck, and holodeck characters take the form of data. Yeah. And one of them is the the madam of the brothel. That's not Data. That's a holodeck character. So I answered correctly, which is zero. But the the, the trivia master said, oh, no, no, it's one. And my friend Matt got it. Like, he was like, oh, it's one. Because we knew if it was they didn't take zero as the answer, he, he said one. But in, in, in the technical sense, which is the best kind of correct, as we all know. Yep. It's zero because that's not data. That's a holodeck character that looks like data. Mm, absolutely. Anyway, so that's probably my most fond memory. And the the data action figure that I think I might still have this. Uh, the data action figure it was a first contact data action figure still in the package. It was his prize. He gave it to me for Christmas. Nice. <laughs> gotcha. Well... Unfortunately, now that we've had kind of the uh, the highest high of talking about RPGs and Star Trek, we've got to bring it down a little bit. Because mm-hmm. sometimes we play with people who we just don't click with. Sometimes people behave rather badly at the table. And the worst of these people, we uh, have reserved the term of that guy for. So in mm-hmm. your time playing, I know you've mostly played with friends, have you experienced a that guy story that you're comfortable telling? And if it's me, it's okay. It, it is not you. It's, uh, again, the, the, the D&D group. Um, it was just a case of someone having too much to drink yeah. and getting a little belligerent uh, to the point of where he was throwing D20s at people, like <laughs> hucking D20s at people real hard. And... Um, because it was one of those things where it was it was fun until that point. Yeah. Because he was playing a mage, and and is anyone and all he was doing was all he could remember that he could do was magic missile. <laughs> and we were we were having a, a, a grand melee tournament, and basically he just it would it would be like all right, and it's your turn now, and he go magic missile, <laughs> and that was it. But he was also getting terrible. Get these questions. <laughs> um, a deal, a default. Um, it, it, it'll. I mean, they're they're little, they're tough little bastards. They're yeah. they're hard. And he, and this is, I'm talking like just across a kitchen table, mm. like hucking hucking at it at someone, and it was very much like, all right, I think we're done for the night. Yeah. But so you know, not like a, a that guy, but definitely a that time mm-hmm. story. 
I mean, the one thing that I remember in in gaming with you, there was the session zero where I believe you ate a whole gummy bear. <laughs> mm-hmm. A special gummy bear. And then tried to power through it. Yeah. And that was. I, I mean, I had a great night. <laughs> it it did end up being pretty fun. The only thing uh, that that kind of ended up being weird was I immediately, being someone who loves the roleplay side of gaming and really gets into my characters, mm-hmm. immediately launch into I am Lieutenant Bradford Terran and I'm going to speak to you as if I am. And then the other people at the table were not feeling it. And I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> stop giggling. Yep. It was a good gummy. Mm-hmm. Space Lieutenant Scoot McHarry was having none of it. Yeah. It's, I can't believe she stuck with that as her name. Absolutely. And something I noticed, this might be giving away too many details. I don't know if you guys realize this, but just down the street from where you live, there is a McNary Street. And oh, every I've... time I pass it, I think of McHarry. So, <laughs> it had. That name was chosen. There's an actor whose name is Scoot McNary. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was it. And she would like, she was just like, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be Scoot McHarry. And okay, mm-hmm. all right. That that just shows us how seriously you're going to be taking this game, I guess. Yeah. Which is, you know, as long as everyone's having fun. Yeah, absolutely. And so the the last of these uh, introductory questions before we dive right into this, uh, you know, Star Trek RPG discussion. The answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be, Sean. If you mm-hmm. could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? So, uh, this is the question I probably came most prepared for. Okay. Actually. Um, so, I believe that you're aware. I'm not 100% sure that you're aware. Uh, my girlfriend is an artist in a lot of different mediums. I did not uh, actually know that about her. Okay. Um and she's she's prepping to open an Etsy store, so she has a bunch of stickers that she's already ordered and things like that. And uh, one of the newest ones, these actually arrived today, and I giggle every time I see this. Let me make sure. Uh, let me know if it's focused. Yep, it's focused. <laughs> that right there. Absolutely. Yeah. For for the people who are going to be listening to this on audio, you've got a a drawing of a cat. Oh yeah with uh is that a piece of bread it is a a a french beret it is a pink beret gotcha and it says le chat absolutely it's it's very i i love the simplicity and just the look on the cat's face Mm -hmm. like it i can't i can't look at this thing and not giggle absolutely she may she may be eavesdropping from the other room but that's (laughs) okay gotcha cool well uh now that we have the introduction out of the way, um, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about Star Trek and its history with role-playing. Um, I did not know of any Star Trek role-playing games. I figured there had probably been one before this, but the first one I was aware of and ever actually tried out was the Modiphius Star Trek Adventures game. However, yeah. I have discovered that the history of Star Trek role-playing goes all the way back to pretty much the same time that D&D started, 1978. 
Yeah, that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. Just based on uh, 78 was back when Star Trek had kind of re-entered the zeitgeist post-Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's when they were planning Star Trek Phase 2, which was an aborted TV show that became the Star Trek movie series. Uh, because it was going to be a new show because it had, it was a huge hit in syndication. So it doesn't surprise me that there was like a, a plethora of um, merchandise and things like that that were kind of rolled in to either roll out with the Phase 2 launch or when they decided to do movies instead, roll out with the movies launch. Mm-hmm. And this game, uh, it's called Star Trek Adventure Gaming and the Final Frontier. It was put out by Heritage Models. Uh, it also came with a set of uh, lead miniatures. So it was also the first line of Star Trek miniatures as well. Uh, but one thing to note about this game, it did not actually include space combat. It was purely a away team RPG. And I I can buy that. That's that's I think one of the bigger appeals, especially at the time. Like there wasn't a lot of space combat in Star Trek, really, mm-hmm. especially the original series, because it was very expensive and it was a very cheap show. Yeah. And so it completely makes sense that that would be the case. I, I'm sure that technical manuals and things were around, but I bet that they did not really take off until the next gen stuff. Yep, and then the same guy that made that game uh, went on to update it. Uh, this was an unofficial update mm-hmm. uh, because the Paramount moved around the license. Uh, the, the guy's name is, oddly enough, Michael Scott, uh, not that one. <laughs> yeah. But he updated it in 1982 to Starfleet Voyages. This time it did include space combat. And uh, from there, official Star Trek games go to uh, FASA Corporation for Star Trek the role-playing game, which is kind of the first major uh, Star Trek RPG. And this is where a lot of people who are uh, super into Star Trek role-playing kind of start. Yeah, I think um, I had an, a classic Star Trek role-playing game, like little not a core book or like a little mini adventure book, that was very, um, what sort I want to use, very limited, very sparse. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think it's from that particular game. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but just based on the age of it and the name that's on it, I I had one, and it's it's got what it, what you would expect from the era. Like, not a lot, but enough to really get playing. Mm-hmm. Sort of pulled my phone out. I was going to see if I could find it real quick. But something that's interesting about this game, this was the Star Trek RPG for the entirety of the 80s. Um, and it, it became one of those things where a lot of franchises, Star Wars does this, James Bond did this with their role-playing game, the RPGs, just to give you enough material to create your own adventures, by design had to uh, elaborate on the lore of Star Trek, and a lot of Star Trek fans who played these games began to see these additions as canon, and even uh, their their supplement on the Klingons 
uh, ended up influencing Paramount itself. Yeah, and I just double-checked it. Yeah, these were the, the game manuals that I had, were the FASA ones. Um, yeah, that's something... Um, like, little things like that pop up throughout Star Trek history with canon. Like, that's that's just one of the big sticking points for a lot of fans is canon stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, just little things like... Um, like, it's generally considered accurate that Spock was the first Vulcan in Starfleet, mm-hmm. which is not true. But there's, like, lots of little hints to it and things like that. But these these rule books and, and uh, lore books is where a lot of that came from. Hmm. Yep. And then apparently at some point uh, Paramount got upset with the way they were handling the Next Generation license. Uh, they did two... TNG supplements in 87 and 88. Uh, Actually, 88 and 89 were when those came out. And Mm -hmm. Paramount pulled FASA's Star Trek license, which, again, caused an uproar in the fan community because TNG had already diverted so much from what this role-playing game had established in their minds as canon. And TNG was from what I gather at the time, extremely controversial until probably about midway through its run, I'd say. Yeah, that's that's generally the, the consensus is that it was, and as any good Star Trek fan will tell you, uh, even Next Gen wasn't even particularly good <laughs> until the third or fourth season, so it was very easy for people just to kind of write it off and be like, well, that's not my Star Trek. Which, you know, that's it's still a thing that you hear today with the new shows and it's just, it's what's going to happen kind of every time something like that rolls out. Mm -hmm. And then there were a couple other kind of knockoffs. There was a game called prime directive that showed up for GURPS third edition. Uh, it also got a D 20 port. Um, again, not official, not actually affiliated with Paramount. They did release a uh, Star Trek TNG role-playing game in 1998. They did supplements for TOS and DS9. Uh, They never got to do Voyager. That got cancelled before they lost their license. And that one ran through uh, the the later part of the '90s. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know a lot about that one. Mm-hmm. But that makes the there was a lot of Paramount jerking around with the license at the time in general too. Yeah. So, not not surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And the late '90s were an absolute glut of RPG products and splat books and stuff like that. So. The fact that there were multiple Star Trek RPGs and and expansions released during that time frame does not surprise me in the slightest. Mm, Yeah, no, not at all. There was, not just in the RPG sector, like, so many Star Trek just action figures Mm -hmm. and things like that. They were just pumping and pumping and pumping. And a lot of people consider around that time, late 90s, early 2000s, is when Star Trek fatigue really started to set in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, at that time you had uh, multiple shows going, movies on a semi-regular release schedule, and then mm-hmm. they never seemed to stop pumping out video games as well. Yeah. 
which they've definitely stopped now. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's been a long time since we've had a a decent Star Trek video game. Now, the last one to mention before we get into Star Trek Adventures, and I only mention this because one of the designers behind it is uh, famous YouTube GM Matt Colville, uh, but Decipher Inc. did put out Star Trek role-playing game in 2002 using their CODA system. Uh, Seems to be pretty well regarded, but again, I don't have any experience with it. Um more than likely what happened with that was decipher went under as a company yeah um i i don't know if you've ever talked about it on here is actually a super fascinating story about embezzlement and things like that (laughs) um because i was a huge decipher head Mm -hmm. like i played um their star wars and star trek card games Mm -hmm. they had the lord of the rings card game that was all that like in star wars prior to pokemon was the only thing that came anywhere close to challenging magic in terms of sales and things like that. And they they retained the Star Trek license up until the company folded. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. I will need to do a deep dive on Decipher then. Uh, now, now that you've mentioned that, uh, I think it would be safe to say expect a Decipher episode at some point. Because uh, it sounds like there's there's a lot to talk about there. Yeah, I can I can point you to some people that have some heavy, like, actual Decipher people to talk to for, for that. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the most recent Star Trek game. Uh, this is still being actively supported, uh, very well regarded amongst Trek fans and RPG fans alike. Uh, let's see, what year did this game come out? I believe it was... Oh, this, uh, apparently it's... this came out in 2020. Yeah, it's... Or maybe 2019. It's super recent. Because, mm-hmm. um, like you said, it's still being supported because they just released their latest rules, the Klingon rule supplement. Yep. Like a month and a half ago, two months ago, something like that. Yes, and this is, of course, Star Trek Adventures. And this right here that I have is the core rule book. This is really what you need just to get started. This is the player and GM stuff. And, uh, Sean, I guess at this point I will turn it over to you to talk about uh, your thoughts on it before we get into to my thoughts a little bit. Yeah, um, so what I like about Star Trek Adventures, and this is what I've touched on a little bit already, is, uh, and the, the rule book kind of spells this out, is this is uh, designed to be as if you're playing as a Starfleet, like a Federation Starfleet crew which means that you should be playing with the the ideals and uh, mentality of a Star Trek crew, mm-hmm. like a, an, an idealistic Star Trek crew, which is really where the, uh, the ability to put together something that's kind of tonally different from what you see from most, most RPGs. I mean, and Star Trek has the, the archetypal races, you know, Klingons are basically the orcs and Romulans and Vulcans are, essentially space elves and this and that uh, reindeer goblins all all that here and there or whatever your comparable race is for what other game you're playing but it's they they say it straight out in the rule book like you should approach these things in in the manner that a a star trek starfleet crew would which is you shouldn't be shooting first you should be asking questions you should be exploring you should be 
trying to do this with an open mind, which is, uh, as I talked about earlier, as I'm, I'm trying to do in these, these first few sessions, because we're only on five or six, session five or six, something like that. Yeah. So we're still, you know, everyone's still getting their legs underneath them. Uh, and, but I'm trying to put together situations where it's not just to shoot your way out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm definitely putting putting that as a consideration of in case there are bullheaded people who might want to name their character Scoop McCary, uh, <laughs> that that do decide that they just want to um, to to shoot their way out of a situation. But uh, where you should be negotiating, you should be exploring, you should be you know scanning something, you should be you know trying to figure out how something ticks and research and using logic. Um, general problem solving skills mm-hmm. not just again my preferred way to play which is let's just kick down this door and see what happens yeah which is why kind of why i'm not super disappointed that i'm not playing mm-hmm. because that's my my way to do it but also the crew i created i specifically made the captain and the first officer a the captain is a vulcan so everything should be that kind of cold hard logical way to deal with things but I made the first officer a Klingon, so when I do have to step in, I'm just going to be this Klingon, potentially just be this Klingon who wants to shoot things and ask questions later. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and for the edification of everyone out there, I'm playing Lieutenant Bradford Terran is a uh, security officer, is kind of how I built him. He's a yellow shirt. Um, and And I really did kind of design him to be the when things get out of hand he's he's the one you want to have by your side M- my favorite characters in in star trek are like chief o'brien and uh Worf, honestly is is up there and then i also like mm-hmm. odo but i like the i like the kind of get your hands dirty star trek characters and so that's what i tried to do with uh with lieutenant Terran. uh i do try to not go for the phaser if if I can avoid it though because I know that's that's really not the point of being a Starfleet officer you're not gonna immediately go for the phaser even though I think I've fired my phaser more than anyone else in the crew <laughs> <laughs> you you are still the security officer though yes. so there is there is that like you're the one with the, the stats to, to handle that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and like I mentioned, it is a, a fresh, a fresh group. Oh, oh, you just got slammed in chat. Oh, Elfie. Oh, I haven't poor, even seen. Poor, I haven't seen Voyager, but I know Ensign Harry Kim. <laughs> um. <laughs> that's uh, rude. That's that's incredibly rude. <laughs> but oh man, that's that's too good. I kind of lost my train of thought. Um. But, oh, what I was saying is it's still a, a fresh group of people who've not really played any any games together before, specifically. Yeah. Uh, and only, I think, one other person in the group, other than you, has actually like actively played in our, like, a regular uh, pen and paper session. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's people that are, you know, feeling out how to, how to play. Um, uh, my aforementioned girlfriend, Emily, is playing. She's never played an RPG like this before. So she's still kind of feeling things out uh, and determining, you know, how to actually when 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 I told her, I was like, well, you just 
do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. She it was kind of a uh, a, gra- a a little tough to to wrap the the brain around it just because it's like well, but how do I determine what I want to do? I was like, well, I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> so yeah. it's still I think that's that's where some of the some of that is coming from here is everyone's still kind of fresh on it figuring figuring things out even me like mm. like i said this is this is me literally just picking a game because it was star trek and going i want to play this and then kind of reading through it and it's like oh this is a little different than anything i'm used to uh but you know i'm i, I like star trek i'm <laughs> i'm gonna do this game yeah absolutely and and so far i mean the i've got a couple praises and then i have a couple criticisms of the game as well um one thing that I really love, and and you've already said this, uh, but structurally this game feels like you're playing an episode of Star Trek. It's it's very much designed to flow like a typical episode of a Star Trek TV show flows. And I'm guessing for a longer, more epic session, it'll probably end up going this, the way a Star Trek movie ends up going. Um one thing that I am learning to uh, appreciate and, and kind of getting the hang of still is the actual system itself. It's an odd hybrid of a D20 system and a percentile system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a little a little strange. For yeah, sure. I, I don't know if Modifius does this with their other RPGs. I've not played any of their other games. I obviously will because they have the Dune license and I'll be checking that game out in December when when it comes out. Uh, I might be interested in doing that with you. Yeah, I'm very I've I'm not I'm not a Dune head, Mm -hmm. but I'm I'm a Dune fan for sure. Oh, yeah. Dune Dune is great. I'm still super excited for that movie. Oh, yeah. the, The pedigree in there is insane. Oh, yeah. But the system here, as we've alluded to, where a percentile system, you roll two D10s and you're trying to get under a target number. You're doing that here, but with D20s, which me with my lizard 5e brain, I'm looking for the high number on the D20, where that's Mm -hmm. not at all what you want in this game. Yeah, it's it's, uh, just for listener edification, essentially you have two sets of stats your your primary stats and then your secondary stats and your checks are based on um like security and command or or no i got it right here whatever they're they're called again yeah i've got my um, sheet here yeah so i can i can reference this like if, if lieutenant Terran were going to fire his phaser um in in the event that that becomes necessary we've got attributes and disciplines uh so for firing a phaser is your control attribute combined with your security attribute which for me is a total of 14 so i'm trying to roll at least one hopefully two d20s under 14 or at 14 yeah and your success rate is determined by the difficulty of the task yeah so the the difficulty ranges from zero to five so zero just means that even if you don't get any successes, you still succeed. Mm-hmm. But any extra da- grants you momentum, which are basically uh, special action points, basically. Yeah. Um, 
so that's a good way like i've i've been doing a lot of low difficulty things at the beginning of our sessions as everyone's getting kind of back used to it's like oh well you just want to open your tricorder and scan the area that's a zero difficulty you got it so now you've got some extra momentum that you can spend later if you need to as, as we're still kind of sorting things out and everyone's getting used to everything mm-hmm. now one thing I've got a, uh, a compliment for the design of the book itself, and then I have a, uh, a criticism here. Um, one thing I really love about this book uh, that, that I'm holding, mm-hmm. the layout of the pages and the, the way that everything's designed, it looks like a data pad does on a Star Trek show. It looks like yes. the kind of computer layouts, which is awesome. Yeah, the Lacar's layout is amazing. It's one of my favorite aesthetic things in all of fiction. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good art in this book as well. There's there's great maps of the quadrants, uh, a lot of the stuff featuring tech and uh, ships looks really good. The stuff featuring humans though does not look as great to my eye. I will hold this up to the camera. I hope this shows through there, there's a picture this is on uh page 136 there's a picture of a human security officer uh holding a batleth running by a bajoran science officer this is not going to show up very well on camera here uh but for one thing the way this guy's holding the batleth is wrong and for another thing i don't know what face that bajoran is trying to make but that is not that is not a humanoid face. There, there's some really, some really bizarre human anatomy things that come up in in this book. As far as the art goes, this is the minorest of minor nitpicks about me with the design. But you guys know, whenever I talk about RPG books, there's always going to be some kind of bugbear that pops up with me either dunking on someone for using uh, stock photos and making it look like a science textbook or someone's weird art choices. Yeah, I'd say that's something I've, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but there are definitely some, some illustrations where I was like, all right. (laughs) Uh, Something that you did mention uh, as you were talking about a minute ago is uh, episodes are, the campaigns are laid out like episodes. They're specifically called episodes in the, the rule book. Mm-hmm. So you're not playing a campaign, you're playing an episode. And they talk about how like, oh, well, if this is um, your, your, where you're ending your session, this is the cliffhanger before the episode ends or before a commercial. Yep. They do, they do a lot of stuff like that. They do a lot to really try and make it feel like an episode of Star Trek, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's yep. something that's very difficult to capture even in, even in the good video games. Mm-hmm. And um, one other thing to mention about this book, you know, we we talked a little bit about kind of the historical Star Trek RPGs and how some of them didn't focus so much on uh, ship combat. This game does actually try to walk the line of giving you both mechanics for away teams and mechanics for uh, ship combat. That has not popped up in our game yet, but the rules are there. I'm not to it yet. Yeah. It's it's definitely feels a little more complicated than the other stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I honestly have not looked over those uh, specific rules yet. I imagine it's something where you've got everyone kind of working together, having to make separate roles to make sure that their uh, their specific uh, functions on the ship end up uh, going off without a hitch. Yeah, I, I don't know how much you've read into it um, so far, but that that seems to be the way that RPGs deal with kind of large ship combat. That's the way they do it in Spaceships and Starworms, which I talked about a few weeks ago. And it seems to be the way that kind of gets everyone involved in, in big ship combat. Yeah, it's um, it would make sense because that's also how just other ship-borne actions are done. Yeah. Like scanning for life forms or plotting a course. So it, if, if they didn't try to implement that in the ship's combat, I would be very surprised. Absolutely. And one other thing that we should mention, because you guys know me, you know how much I love my miniatures, and you've probably seen what I've been posting on uh, Instagram lately, uh, but Modifius has done a great job with actually putting out miniatures for this game as well, so you have your official Star Trek miniatures. I've got a couple over here, and Sean has a right few here? examples that I actually painted for him. Yeah. Things lagging behind just a hair. There we go. Yep. So these, uh, I I love the the miniatures. They're great. The biggest, and it's not really a a complaint about the miniatures themselves. It's just very much. I almost wish that they were generic. Yep. Now they, because, they do have generic ones. They have like oh, a okay. generic away team as well. Oh, okay. So you just gave me this one. Yeah. <laughs> I did not Again, buy. I did not buy the generic away team. I bought the uh, the TNG bridge crew, and then I have some Klingons as well that I that I kept for myself. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, Klingons, of course. Mm-hmm. But they do have a generic bridge crew. They've got uh, the Klingons are all generic. They do have a specific pack for. I think they call it greatest Star Trek villains. Hmm. But it's basically uh, Khan and Gul'dukat, and... Mott the Barber? I, I don't remember who all is in it. There, <laughs> that's, there's... that's just a very a very dumb Star Trek joke. I, <laughs> Elfie, Elfie probably got it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, there's all that. They have not done like a full, here's a box of Ferengi, here's a box of Cardassians, here's a box of uh, Jem'Hadar... Yeah. At some, I I do actually think they have a Kaiwen miniature. I I now have to check my work there, but I feel like I've seen a Kaiwen miniature. So, let's see if she yeah, is included here. It would not shock me because if if you're talking great Star Trek villains, you can't you can't not mention Kaiwen. Mm-hmm. All right, it looks like I might have been mistaken because what I'm seeing here is uh, you've got a Borg drone, the Borg Queen. Um, I think that's Lore, Khan, Q, Ducat, and then uh, a Gorn. 
that would make sense to have the Gorn captain. Um, and then you also there's... have Christopher Lee's character from Star Trek Three. It looks like Christopher Lloyd's character. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd. Right. Uh, there's a Borg set. It looks like where you could just get a bunch of Borg. Mm-hmm. There's a few different ones. Yep. Oh, the villains are completely out of stock. Mm-hmm. And then they also have the uh, original series bridge crew as well. And the Romulans. Oh, Basic- it's General, General Chang. Yep. That's what it is, yeah. They have not done any uh, any DS9 minis yet. I imagine they'll probably throw us that bone at some point since people seem to be loving these uh, these minis. Uh, so so maybe. Yeah, I'd, Star Trek is such a not not fickle fan base, but there is a giant gulf between the popularity of the generalized popularity of the original series next gen and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And fortunately DS nine is it's become the show that everyone kind of views as the one they overlooked at this point. A lot of people are coming back to it and saying, maybe, maybe we were too hard on you DS nine. Maybe you were secretly brilliant. Uh, but as far as it the wasn't gener- secretly brilliant, yeah. people were just dumb in the 90s. Yep. But as far as the general population goes, your average people, they know Kirk, they know Picard, they don't know Cisco. Yeah. And it's a damn shame because he's the Cisco. Deep, I've, I've had this discussion a lot lately because I've been recording some tribunal episodes about Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, easily my favorite Star Trek. Like, mm-hmm. it's not even close it's it's the one it's the one from before the new shows it's the only one that even feels halfway modern mm-hmm. with the storytelling sensibilities and everything it's amazing it's chef's kiss so good mm-hmm. i could just gush about that for the whole rest of the time but yep. i'll i'll refrain mm-hmm. absolutely and and yes as elfie is saying in the chat here it is the most uh kind of rewatchable um, and, and I'm saying this as someone who's only watching it for the first time now, uh, but this is Elfie's... Is, is this your second or third time through it, Elfie? Uh, because, I mean, there were times, even though I was watching a lot of Next Gen for the first mm-hmm. time, I'd seen... Oh, fifth or sixth, I stand corrected. Um, even though I was watching a lot of Next Gen for the first time as I was watching it this this past time, there were a lot of episodes that just did not, like you said, age well. There, there's a lot of episodes that feel very yeah. much of their time or even kind of past, like older than their time almost. Like you look at some of the stuff that was happening in the, the mid-90s on television and you compare it to TNG some of the weaker episodes and you're like, yeah, what are um, you doing for sure. Definitely. Um, TNG, the deep space nine is the best, most consistent of all of the series. Like it's the one, uh, cause like I said, uh, my podcast is we, we generally talk about bad episodes, not generally. That's exactly what we talk about. That's the whole premise of the show. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I'm recording season two right now, which is about deep space nine. 
So season one was TNG, so season two is going to be Deep Space Nine. And the general consensus that uh, I and the guests are coming up with is if these are the worst episodes that Deep Space Nine has to offer, the show is not that bad. Hmm. But when recording TNG is if this is the worst episode of TNG and I were to compare this to the rest of the show, I might think that this is one of the worst TV shows ever made. Hmm. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't any good episodes of TNG. There are some absolutely brilliant ones, but... Oh, Elfie. The other shows can run along home. Move along home. They can move along home. It's time to go to the third chap. Absolutely. But, I mean, like, there seems to be a pattern of uh, TNG episodes where the first five of the season are typically strong dies in the middle mm. picks yeah, up towards kind of mid-season for two or three episodes there's typically a two-parter in there where things pick up and then uh dies off again and then the last four to two to four episodes of the season are, are good again yeah um i could i would definitely i i say definitely because i have made the argument <laughs> that there is a stretch of episodes in season three of tng it's sins of the father the offspring and yesterday's enterprise is the potentially the best three run episode of a television show ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all, th- all three of those episodes I would put up as best episode of star Trek. And in the case of either yesterday's enterprise or the offspring, potentially best episode of television mm-hmm. period. Oh yeah. Ye- yesterday's enterprise is, one of my absolute favorites of the series. Um, I love that alternate reality. It's a shame about what they did with it later, but... Elfie and I were talking about this the other day. They never did actually resolve Tasha's alternate reality half-spring daughter. Oh, yeah, Sila? It's it's a... It's a shame. She was definitely... I believe... And I, it's been a while since it came out and since I was really, really into it. Mm-hmm. I think the origi- one of the original intentions for Nemesis was for her to be the villain. Might have been better than what they did. Which, uh, for anyone out there listening, uh, the last Star Trek The Next Generation movie, Star Trek Nemesis, go watch yourself a young, fresh-faced Tom Hardy mm-hmm. pretend to be Patrick Stewart for two hours. Absolutely. Yeah, there there are some interesting cameos of now famous people in in those Star Trek movies. Adam Scott dies in, in contact, like yeah. two minutes on the bridge of the Defiant in in First Contact. Um, Neil McDonough is also in First Contact. Yeah, Neil McDonough is Lieutenant Hawk. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really good ones, um, but specifically the Adam Scott one's great because. That was one of my favorite extras in anything ever. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out 20 years later, oh, he's been Wyatt on Parks and Rec now. Yep. Absolutely. So when it comes to kind of the uh, the material that Modiphius has released so far, uh, just to supplement the main book, we mentioned there's a Klingon source book now. So uh, you can be a Klingon player character more easily than you could uh, to begin with. They've done books for all three main paths within Starfleet, uh, which for those of you who aren't as familiar with Star Trek is Command, 
operations and uh, science. Yep. And then there's the um, the quadrant rule books. Yep. Uh, Alpha quadrant, beta quadrant. Um, are there gamma and delta quadrant books yet? I, I don't think so because they've not really done much with Voyager or Deep Space Nine. So I'd imagine they're they're holding on to those for when they start expanding those directions. Mm-hmm. And then they also have not done anything, and I don't know if this is by design, if they're just not interested. Um, they've not done anything with the Kelvin timeline or with the new series, which I guess those are just, you know, waiting out to see mm-hmm. what happens with those. I think the Kelvin timeline is going to end up being something that's just kind of shoved in a closet somewhere and never acknowledged. Yeah, I I would not be surprised by that. Um just in general, based on some rights things that had happened and have since been resolved, but do they want to continue doing it? Because the shows are apparently pretty successful, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you've got uh, campaign books as well. There's uh, These Are the Voyages and uh, Strange New Worlds. Those are both mission mm-hmm. compendiums. Uh, let's see. You've got... Uh, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta are all they do. available. Okay. Uh, beta is currently sold out on Modifius's website, though. Uh, that would make sense, because I think that's where the... If, if if the canon from the 90s holds, that's where the Klingons are from. Mm-hmm. So if, if people are buying that to support Klingon campaigns and things like that. Um, something I do like, and we've not mentioned yet, is the... The game does make um, concessions and the ability to play in different time periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's specifically set up so you can pay, play in uh, something we've not mentioned yet is the Enterprise time frame, which is uh, about 100 years or so before the original series. You can play in the original series time frame or the Next Generation time frame. The biggest changes are really the available races. Mm-hmm. But um, same thing, if you were to play in those time frames, if you were to play in the Enterprise or uh, original series time frame, you would never need to buy like a Gamma Quadrant or Delta Quadrant book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what we've mentioned here, if you were to buy everything, you're looking at hundreds of dollars worth of investment at this point. And it's going to be even more because Modifius is a British company, so everything, all the prices are listed in... Uh, pound sterling so uh you're gonna end up paying almost 50 dollars per book for some mm-hmm. of these books uh but it really is this this core book is a complete package you can absolutely run a fun and complete star trek adventure with everything that comes in this book you don't necessarily need the command source book to uh, you know, create the the best kind of Starfleet captain that you could potentially create. Right. Um, there are some cool details. There was recently a Humble Bundle uh, sale on PDFs of a bunch of these expansions. So I have most of the series on uh, PDFs it, that I got for like fifteen dollars it was fifteen it was fifteen got you everything I'm pretty sure yeah um because i I got the same thing um the only things it's missing I think are the the gamma quadrant the delta quadrant and the new Klingon source book yep yep absolutely 
and there, there's some cool stuff in there. If you crack open the Operation Source book, which I immediately did, you can find out how to join uh, Section 31. <laughs> Which, oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's a whole thing about joining Section Thirty One under the security uh, section of that book, which would be an interesting campaign to say the very least. If, if someone decided, all right, we're gonna do instead of a traditional bridge crew campaign, you guys are four operatives from Section Thirty One. You're gonna be going from ship to ship. Mm-hmm trying to maintain your cover and stuff like that. That would be a damn interesting campaign. Yeah. Um, I've not spent, I, I may do something with section 31 at some point I've set my, my campaign is, uh, in between next generation and, uh, Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Uh, so it is, um, Right around the time of Lower Decks, I think, actually. Maybe a couple of years after. Mm-hmm. But, so, I, I, I put it there just because I felt like it had the most opportunity. So, oh, yeah. But things like Section 31 and things like that are definitely very interesting things. There's a, I mean, it's space. It's a, it's this mm-hmm. giant 60-year spanning, you know, thing. You could, there's so much that you could do. And it's, I think that's kind of another reason is why I chose to do Star Trek is it's something that, you know, especially in as long as I've been into it and especially as much as I was into it in the the nineties and the early two thousands, I've forgotten more about Star Trek than most people would probably ever know. Hmm. Uh, so it's just a case of why not at least try to put this knowledge to some sort of use? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one thing uh, that that Star Trek has uh, that's beneficial to role-playing that even Star Wars uh, lacks. Because Star Wars, there's been a lot of material that covers the major gaps in, in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Star Trek, there's been some, but there's still a big... There, there's big holes yeah. where uh, adventures can easily take place. There's big holes between kind of the end of the original series and uh, the animated series and the uh, original series cast movies. There's a decent size mm-hmm. hole between kind of that red uniform era and the next generation era. And then there's a huge hole after uh, the Voyager r- returns and after the events of Nemesis uh, that has not been even at all looked at until just recently with Picard. Yeah, like that's a a 20-year gap where there's only one thing that you know for sure happened in there. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So even with, you know, hardcore Trek fans, if you've got a whole bunch of people who, like Sean, have forgotten more things than most people remember about the franchise you can put them in one of those time periods and they might not have a solid idea of what exactly was happening in the Federation Mm -hmm. and in the Klingon Empire in those periods of time. So that's pretty much your playground. You can do virtually whatever you want there. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, there's so many different places with gaps. Like, do you... Do you specifically want to run a campaign that's about a war between the Federation and the Klingons? Then 
uh, in between the original series movies and next gen is perfect because there were conflicts during that entire time. There's the not not huge ones, but they were there. Uh, same thing of Federation and the Romulans in between Enterprise and the original series. There was a whole Romulan war during that. There's all these different gaps, or in and even then, outside of uh, the last three seasons of Deep Space Nine, you could still set things within the confines of what you know already. Because hmm. Next Gen was literally, other than a couple of events, is like, well, all, the only thing that's going on that you know about is what was going on here on this ship at this one specific planet. Yep. Yeah, you could easily... Uh do something during the the borg wars you could do something uh in the dominion war i i would i i'm now thinking of all these different star trek campaigns that i want to run now i would love to do a klingon campaign during the dominion war where you're on one of the one of the uh birds of prey that's dealing yeah. with the uh just the jim hadar and the breen kind of at the the very end of the war that that would be that'd be interesting yeah and that's like it, they like we said they just put out the klingon war book so if you yep. want to play the the non-cerebral like you want to do the combat campaign you've got the resources you need to do that mm-hmm. you've got your klingon stats you've got uh you just need to make some jim hadar do you want it to be a a ground war or a space war you've got the the ability to do either one of those yep absolutely and honestly, uh, as weird as the mechanics can be uh, initially when you first start playing, this is a good system for it. Uh, I'm glad that we have a game like this to explore this world because there's always a fear with these licensed RPGs that the game is just going to be not great or there's not going to be a lot of effort put into it Mm -hmm. because it's a licensed property it makes money just by having the word star trek on it um it's good to see that modifius has a team that you know cares and and wants to put out a good game that emulates star trek as well as it does so if you like trek and you've got a bunch of friends who like trek this is the game for you, and it, it does come with a buy recommendation from me. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I I bought it to make people play with me, so I also <laughs> recommend it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And him buying it made me buy it, so there you go. Need to see if Modifius has some kind of... Uh, some. Now I just lost the uh, the term for it. One of those uh, affiliate programs, mm, just yeah. for for word of mouth. Yeah, and you've mentioned it, and I just want to say it one more time. Is the, I think the the best, most important thing that this game does is it captures the spirit of Star Trek, mm-hmm. which is like like you did just mention. It's something that's not very easy to do. Um, even when there were a lot of Star Trek games coming out, like at the, the late 90s, early 2000s, even the good ones, uh, your Star Trek Armadas, your um, your Klingon Honor Guards, your Voyager Elite Forces, those were good games. They were all good games, but they were all very action-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're, that's, that's two first-person shooters in an RTS. Yeah. RTS is close-ish, but eh. Not really. Um, 
but this, you know, gives you the opportunity to sit down and really like do something that feels like Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Sean, we are kind of at the end of our time here. Um, basically, right now, anything you want to promote? Obviously, you've got uh, Star Trek Tribunal. Um, at some point, we're actually going to end up doing an episode for that. So um, anyone who just likes to hear me talk, I can't imagine there's many of you out there. Uh, at some point, I'll be doing that. So uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. But it, is there anything else you want to promote? Anything coming up? Uh, nothing in the immediate future. Uh, like you did just mention, the Star Trek Tribunal, uh, which is the Star Trek podcast. I started to talk about bad episodes of Star Trek with my friends. Um, the most recent episode is actually on the first season of Star Trek Picard. Uh, I've had uh, several guests uh, on there. Um, a couple of published authors, uh, a couple of Emmy-nominated uh, producers. Uh, things like that. Um, lose my train of thought. Where'd it go? Um, so that, um, in the process of recording season two of that right now, uh, I see that my Twitter handle is on the, um, the screen for Twitch. Uh, but if you're just listening, it's at Sean Trek. That's S H A U N Trek, uh, for Twitter. That's actually also my Twitch handle. Um, I don't do a lot of stuff on Twitch. I'm, probably going to start doing it again i was actually running through star trek games on twitch for a while nice. i played uh star trek deep space nine crossroads of time star trek starfleet academy a few things like that uh so i just really need to get off my ass and do it again mm -hmm. um and as i mentioned up front uh my girlfriend actually has an etsy shop that she's going to be opening soon it is not open yet it is not available um but if you saw the lechat sticker uh, keep your eye out for Snakes and Stones on Etsy. I don't know when that will be going live, but it should be soon, hopefully. Gotcha. All right, guys. Well, uh, that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, Sean, thank you once again for coming on. This has been a blast. I've had a great time uh, talking with you about uh, this this great game that we've mm -hmm. uh, shared the table to, to play together. Uh, just to let you guys know what's coming up this week, of course, this Saturday morning on Danishes and Dragons, uh, we're doing another character creation stream. Uh, I am going to be rebuilding my forever NPC, Cromwell McGuinn, using some of the resources that I did not have my hands on when I first built him, namely Xanathar's Guide to Everything. So we'll be doing that, and in honor of Cromwell McGuinn, we will be having an Irish breakfast. So I'll be holding forth on corned beef hash and how much I love it. Uh, Irish coffee, of course, will be consumed. So there will be that. And then uh, next Monday, Labor Day, we are going to be talking to Jackie Zanto of Crawler once again. Uh, she is working feverishly on Crawler 2.0, adding more features to the application that allows you to connect with people and form your RPG groups. Uh, I'm excited to hear how this project is progressing. It's an idea that obviously kind of blew up beyond what she was expecting when she created it as a grad project. So we'll be talking a lot about that and what's coming with that application. That'll be next Monday. So until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, 
I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.